Hebrews chapter 7. Let's read together. Starting in verse 11, we'll read all the way through to verse 28. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another high priest after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses has said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness, and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But, on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord hath sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. For the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. May God, at his blessing, 
to the reading and the hearing of his word. If you hear nothing from the book of Hebrews other than Jesus is better, you have heard the message. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the gospels, than the, than the messages that came before him. He is the message. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Jesus is better than all the messages that can come. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus is better. We have that drummed home over and over in this letter, and we come to this portion where now he is comparing Jesus with the high priests, and he tells you about the character and nature of our God in a way that is incredibly profound. And here's where I think I want to start in this discussion this morning. Discussion, really more monologue, right? Sermons are really more monologue. We like to call them discussions. They're monologues. But um, you don't get to talk. <laughs> There's a mic here. So the, uh, where I want to start this morning, though, is just to prompt you with this question. When you've been approached about the gospel, or when you've approached people about the gospel, what's the first thing you say about Jesus? Not about man or sin. I know that we, we set it up. We talk about the law first. We, I know there's, there's processes. But once you get to Jesus, what's the first thing you say? We can all probably say it together. He died for sins. First thing we say. The author of Hebrews here has set up the law and the system and said Jesus is better than these things. And then he said... Jesus is alive. He's alive. That's his approach. And he begins to argue for your salvation based on Jesus' life. Based on Jesus' living. Rather than on the cross. He's already brought up the cross. In case you're curious, the cross has been brought up earlier in the book. Don't worry. Jesus is alive. And that matters. You see, frequently in our culture of evangelism and evangelistic church, we tend to get to the point where we say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and then we drop it at that point. We tell the people, repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But there's more to the story. He didn't just die on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, and lives now, eternally, making intercession on your behalf for your sins. And He's alive permanently. He lives. Oh, He lives. And He lives making intercession for you, constantly standing as your high priest. This is the author of Hebrews here, and he breaks this down into a couple different portions. So let's look at them together and just dive right in. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise in the order of Melchizedek? 
rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. So he's already argued that Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come in order for you to be saved. Otherwise, you would have been caught in the cycle of religious sacrifices that never would have saved you because the law can't save you. By the works of the law, no man is justified. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. By the works of the law, no man is justified before God. So, here we have this uh, statement here. He says, if perfection, or the word perfection here is the same word as it is finished, to die, that Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. If the word, the word here, perfection, means completion or finishing, if completion or finishing of the law or satisfaction of the law had been possible by the Levitical priesthood, then why would there need to be another priest to come from the order of Melchizedek? Why would this need to be? And it's a rhetorical. It wouldn't if it had been possible. But perfection is not possible. You're caught in this cycle of religious belief held under the law. You are held under the law in this cycle of religious practice making constant sacrifice over and over for your sins, according to the law. So if you live by the law, trying to do righteousness on your own, trying to make it on your own, grabbing tightly to the law and holding it, saying, I'm going to obey this on my own and be good enough, if that's you, you can't. Because you have to go back over and over and over, and oh, I did it again, i got to go back, and you got to sacrifice again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and then, let's say you do something that is utterly wicked, and then you run to a city of refuge to be saved. You're only safe there as long as the high priest lives. And if you're living under the law, you have to answer for those sins as soon as the high priest dies and a new one comes into place. So this is constant cycle being crushed under the law of burdening, needing this constant burning off of sin through the sacrificial offerings. Constant. And that's the status that the people were in. That's the status that you and I were in before Christ Jesus. We were in a state of bondage to sin and law. Needing constant sacrifice to be free. He says, what, what need would there be? There wouldn't have been a need if it was possible through the law. Verse 12. For, we say for there, that could be translated um, as, a, as a negative. It could be translated as, as in but, but it's not the word but, it's the word for. But it could be translated like contrastive. But, in contrast, <clears throat> But when there is a change in the priesthood, or for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For one, for the one of whom these things were spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. So his first argument here, for the greater Jesus, the, the high priest, as the greater high priest in the Levitical law, his first argument is... There, there is a change in the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, because people die. There's a change in it. 
And there's even a rotation in the Levitical priesthood. Because people are people, and they need to rotate. They need to move in and out. They need breaks. They need rest. Then in verse 13 it says, For the one of whom these things are spoken, the, the one from the line of Melchizedek, belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. So nobody from the line of Judah has ever served as a high priest. Everybody should nod at that. You can only serve as a high priest if you're in the Levitical line, which means you're descended from Levi. You're a Levite. Since you live in the temple and you're descended from him and you are a Levitical priest. Those are the only ones who got to serve as high priests. You didn't get a second one. But there's this guy Melchizedek over here, over here, the great king of righteousness. And Melchizedek is the high priest that serves Abraham. Sorry, the high priest that serves the God Most High, El Elyon, and gives Abraham communion. So, we have this argument starting. The Levites were subject to the law, and they are arbiters of the law. The Levites were subject to the law, and they are arbiters of the law, which means they had to give sacrifice for themselves as well. They had temporary posts as priests. They were rotating, and the high priest died. And the new one came. And they were bound to their position by law. They were bound to their position by law. Melchizedek. Jesus, from the line of Melchizedek, from the priesthood of Melchizedek, is not bound to his position by the law. The law does not hold him there. Rather, he is above the law. Because the law says nothing concerning him serving as priest, regulating his priesthood. The law does not regulate the God who wrote it. The law does not regulate Jesus. The law does not regulate what Jesus can do. Just let that sit in your head for a second and realize Jesus is not bound to a law. Now, as a side note, God is not bound by anything. He is not under a law. He has not set himself under a law either. He can do whatever He wants. Why? Because He's God. And the beautiful thing about it is that His character and nature are such that when you look at Him, you need not worry or fear because He's love. And yes, He's power. And yes, He's righteousness. And yes, he's justice. And yes, he's got wrath. But what does is, what is the apostle who walked with him say of him? God is love. Not God is defined by love. He is love. He is the definition of it. 
he himself. Jesus, likewise, is not subservient to a law. He didn't come as high priest because the law demands it for you. He came as high priest because he chose to. He lived a perfect and sinless life because he chose to. He carried that cross up the hill for you because he chose to. Because he's free. He's not bound. And yes, that ought to be a little terrifying, right? If you're thinking, if you're like me, your mind ought to race a little bit and go, the God of the universe who controls all things, who controls the very air I breathe, I'm going to be on a plane at some point, and he can crash the plane whenever he wants. I'm going to be in a car. He can destroy that car. In an instant, he can make my house explode in a moment's notice, and he would be perfectly righteous to do so because all that he does is just and right. And that ought to be a little unsettling, except for the fact of his character, being how great and how marvelous he is, and that he is alive. He's alive. So Jesus here, no law, no, no, Moses said nothing about priests from Judah. Jesus is from the line of Judah and he has no law that binds him. Indeed, he is above the law itself. His life is eternal. Where your sacrifice was imperfect and you kept having to come back and forth and do the right 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 and do do it over and over and over. Jesus is the right eternally. It just continues. It just keeps going. Where you had to come back to the sacrificial offering and have it burned off over and over. Jesus died, we read later, once for all. That's it. One time. Where you are under the law, there is no law written about Jesus. There is no law binding him to anything. So he is free to act in love towards you over and over and over and lavish it on you. Because there is no law that governs him. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So here in the second section, we see Jesus is above the law because he is not given his position as son, as God, as high priest based on legal, (coughs) based on legal requirements. Rather, Jesus is eternal. He's not under the law, he's above the law, but he's also eternal. Bringing hope eternally based on his life. This is where I was talking to you about the the author of Hebrews is arguing for your security and salvation, not based on Jesus' death, 
but based on His life. Your salvation is secure because Jesus lives. He lives now. He's alive. When He came out of the tomb, He had scars on His hands. He showed Himself to people, and then He flew into the sky. Own your crazy. That's insane. We believe that we are saved because 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man walked out of a tomb, defeating death, and then stood on a mountaintop in front of 500 people, and then lifted into the sky. We're crazy. But it's true. Own it. That should sound crazy. It should, because it is crazy. But it's beautiful, because without it, without his life, you understand, you'd have to go back to the altar again, and again, and again, and again. You'd have to go back to the altar again to be cleaned over and over. And yet, here, Jesus stands before you alive. Forever. Perfect life. Lived out perfectly. He became a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. The, the emphasis in that word, indestructible life, that phrase, is the eternality of the life. The constant power of the life that is there. He lives for you now. For it is witnessed of him. So this is the oath that's made about him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is in the Psalms. It's written a long time before Jesus walked on the earth. As Jesus, he says, you are a priest forever. This is hundreds of years before Christ shows up and God makes this oath. So, I want to ask you, do you really think that the things you're struggling with are too ingrained in your lifetime? You've been dealing with them too long for God to deal with them? God's tired of you struggling with this? You really, you really think that you could be struggling with something so long that you outlast Him? God is eternal. Jesus lives forever. If He has enough patience to write, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek several hundreds of years before sending Jesus to fulfill that statement where we can see it. I think he's got enough patience to deal with you. I think he's got enough patience to deal with your trouble. I think he's loving enough and long-suffering enough to walk with you through whatever trial you're struggling with. Also, if he, if he had that in his mind in Genesis chapter 
14. Melchizedek in his mind as the high priest of the upper room, the God of the upper room who delivers communion by breaking bread and drinking wine. Body broken, blood poured out for you. If he had enough foresight and desire and planning to handle that at the time of Abraham, thousands of years before Christ, if he did that, I don't think that you are far away from his plan because you've gotten off track. I don't think you're far enough off for him to not be able to bring you back on. I don't think anybody is. I don't think your neighbor is. I don't think your mother is. I don't think your sister. I don't think your child. I don't think your cousin. I don't think your 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 friends are far enough away for God to to do something. They haven't been gone long enough. You cannot exhaust God's love. Oh, there comes a time, there will come a time, when it will be over. You will be done waiting. And because we know that time is coming, it is urgent that you share Christ. But consider the fact that He is eternal. and Consider it in your life. He is still present, active, working in your life. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he says, on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. That's the Levitical priest. So the Levitical priest, that command is moved aside. Moved aside in favor of Melchizedek as high priest. Jesus as, as high priest. The Levitical priesthood is moved aside as not working, as, as weak, as useless. We know from Paul's writing that the Levitical priesthood is designed for one purpose. To point you to Jesus. You're supposed to look at the Levitical priesthood's inadequacies, the constant cycle, the constant sacrifice, the burying under the law, and you're supposed to go, I need something more. And God says, you do. Jesus is the more. And He gives you this timeless priest who is perfect in every way to offer sacrifice for your sins, who is present always. And the one is set aside, the Levitical priesthood is set aside, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. So better hope in Jesus Christ is introduced in Him that you would be saved, perfect, secure, eternal and free, He breaks the chains of sin, and He gives you hope. Where the law gave you requirement and, and rule, Jesus gives you hope and freedom. Jesus gives you hope and freedom. Now, verse 20, And it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests, were made such without an oath. But this one was made priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus 
the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus has an oath. An oath and an oath from God. Now, if you go into a, a court of law, there's two things you can take. Right? You can take a witness who's greater than you to testify on your behalf. Or you can take the law. And you can stand there with the, the printed law and go, this is the law. And taking the law with you into a court of law has some negatives. One, you are holding that up as the standard, this law that you have to abide by, that they have to abide by. So even if the law acquits you, you have to show that to them and prove it in a court. This is the law, has to be proven, and it's like a giant math problem. Stand in front of a judge doing a verbal math problem. Well, back in 1968, there was a guy that did the same thing, and there was a law that was passed, and the law said blah, 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 and then I said blah, and then and this statute here, and then if I take this statute over here and add this statute to it, then it makes these statutes, and, and I obeyed because these statutes, and you have to have this legal argumentation. Or, you can go, the king testifies on my behalf. Now, Jesus goes before you as your guarantee, as your witness before the court. So, you walk into the court of law, and you go, here's the law, then you're judged by the law. If you walk into a court of law, and you go, this is the guy that wrote the law, and not only did he write it, but he owns it, he can change it at will. And he created the court. He's testifying on my behalf. Which one do you think is going to go better for you? Jesus comes before you as a guarantee, as a guarantor. And he comes before you based on the power of God himself. <coughs> He has an oath from God himself. A sheet of paper that says he is the son of God. God will not change his mind. And this is his courtroom. <laughs> now, consider all the accusations that you have laid against you weekly. All the temptations that are that come down upon you moment by moment, day by day, all the battles that you face to pursue the holiness and righteousness and justice of God in your own life, consider all those things and then remember that the guarantee of your salvation, the guarantor, the guy that holds your salvation in his hand, needs none of the law to defend you. He doesn't need to bring out a textbook on legal requirement. He can stand up and say, yeah, this whole court system belongs to me, and I say he's free. That is incredible.
Jesus is, has secured your salvation by nature of himself. Verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is permanent. He's not momentary. He's not a something you put on as a patch for a time. He is permanent. He walks with you. He lives with you. He cares for you. He is present in your everyday life. Jesus is permanent. The high priests before were many. And why were they many? Because they died. They weren't permanent. They go in and out. They die. They come off their rotation. They go on their rotation. They are temporary. Jesus is permanent. So here, Jesus stands your permanent priest interceding on your behalf. And it says here, Consequently, because he is permanent, because he continues forever, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save them of every little thing. He can save them from anything. Listen, Christian. If you have placed your faith in Christ, He can save you from anything all the time. Every sin that is thrown at you, every temptation that drops in your lap, everything that you struggle with, Jesus can save you from it. Why? Because He is constantly there. He is always there. Jesus doesn't take a nap. Jesus doesn't take a break from being Messiah. He doesn't get tired and go, I'm going to go on vacation, let the world spin for a while, and then I'll come back. Though it feels that way sometimes, that's not how he works. He did not walk away from you, and he never will. Indeed, he says of his disciples, they are mine, I hold them in my hand, and no one can snatch them from me. That includes you. That includes me. You cannot go so far from Him that He cannot reach you. You cannot hide from Him. Even if I go to the depths of Sheol, He is there. He is light in the dark. No matter how far I run, no matter how far I go, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, He is there. If I ascend to the mountains, He is there. If I hide in the deepest, darkest cave, He is there. Indeed, Christ does not lead His sheep. He does not take breaks. You are His, and He is always interceding on your behalf before the Father. Such a glorious high priest who has rescued us from every sin, 
and has interceded on our behalf for every sin in such great faithfulness and love. Let's pray together and we will enter into a time of communion. Father, we love you and we are grateful for salvation. Lord, we pray that as we study and cry out for understanding that you would remind us of your presence, that we would delight in you and in who you are.